All right, so last week we did an introduction. Does anybody remember anything from the introduction at all? Good. That was good. What does the gospel do for us? I'll say that again. What does the gospel do for us? Thank you. I was beginning to wonder now. I was going to say, we got to change the message tonight and talk about the gospel more. No. Yeah, the gospel does. It rescues us, right? Does the gospel rescue? What else does it do? If it gives you forgiveness, it transforms you. Your life should not be the same afterwards, correct? So, we're going to talk tonight about calling. Uh, nothing is more important in your life than being one of God's tools to form a human soul. Definitions of calling. Calling, according to Webster's, is a naming or inviting a reading over, or reciting in order, or a call of names with a view to obtain an answer. It's a vocation, it's a profession, it's a trade, an occupation, employment. A calling could be a class of persons engaged in a profession or employment. And the last one it talks about is a calling is a divine summons or an invitation. So when we think about calling, who in the scriptures do you think of that was called by God? Now that's in the form of a question. So that's mean I'm asking a question, and it would be nice to have an answer. All those whom God has chosen. Can we be more specific than that? Okay, that was the two examples I actually had. Wow, that is awesome. Uh-huh, y'all did good. Y'all covered the Old Testament and the New Testament, even though I would have thought Eric would definitely be the Old Testament. But, you know, it, it works out really well, right? Uh, the first one that came to my mind was, I actually said Abram, because when God called him, it was even before he changed his name. And it's interesting, he actually called Saul before he changed his name. Interesting how God not only called him, then he actually gave him sort of a new identity. Hold on, do we have a new identity in Christ? Amen. Praise God, we do, right? So the first one again is Abraham. God called him from the land of his father. Does anybody know where he started off at? Bible Jeopardy. Or the Chaldeans was where his father Terah was from, and then they went to another land and waited there, and then went on to Canaan. Anybody got it? There you go. Yes, he went there. So his father actually left and took him and them and then went to this place and they waited. The father dies and then what happens? The next place it says, God spoke to Abram and said, go. And what did Abram do? He got up and went, right? That's what we should be doing. When God calls us, we should be going to where he wants us to go. And then uh, Saul, do you remember what happened with him? Since how he brought it up, Eric, can you please tell us in uh, about 300 words what that means? Send him. And he went with a different purpose than he had originally. Right. So, what do you think of when you hear the term calling? Do we automatically assume Pastor Chris? Is that our normal thing when we think of calling? What should it mean when we think of somebody's called to do something? What should, what should that refer to? Mission. There you go. Thank you, Jacob. So do you know, we know some people that's on mission, some people that's not on mission? <laughs> right. Uh, they have one, but maybe they haven't actually uh, officially went and started at it, right? So when you think about calling, is there any profession that comes to mind when we think of calling? Is that a calling? 
Amen. It is a calling, right? Do you, it is. Thank you for bringing it back to that. I was just going to leave parenting completely on the shelf. Now, now we're going to cover all of it, but uh, calling is in a lot of different areas, right? We could say vocation. I think most people say, oh, that person was called. Oh, they're, they're gifted to do that, which could be true, right? Some people have different gifts, right? God's created everyone and given different gifts for different purposes, right? But calling, our calling is to proclaim salvation to our children. That's one of our primary callings as parents. We're not to proclaim education, recreation, or vocation. And it took me a while to get all those together. I was really trying to say the Asian thing. You're right. Salvation is the primary, followed by sanctification, then all others. So I thought about that. And I thought, okay, parents, how much time are we investing in each of those areas? Salvation, sanctification, our vocation, education, recreation. Where's the bulk of our kids' time? Depends often, but education is something, I mean by, by law, is what? Six hours and 41 minutes a day or whatever weird thing that they got, some kind of weird name like that. What about for us as, we're, as the parents? What are we primarily investing our lives in? Is it our vocation? How about a lot of people that, do you think they're investing a tremendous amount of time in recreation? This will go a whole lot faster if we get, or easier if somebody, I'm going to start saying Riley. I was going to point back there. You have to answer. Right. No, okay. Uh, what is the return on our investment of time? Do you ever think about when you get to a certain age, like, I don't know, when you get in your 50s, you look back over your life and you think, I've invested my time in what, and what am I getting out of it? If you don't invest your time in making sure you take care of yourself, by the time you get that age, what's going to happen? You're going to have health issues most likely, right? If you've not invested that in your wife or your family, what's going to happen there? There's going to be a separation, right? There's not going to be that closeness or unity. If you've not invested in God or in the church, are you going to be able to come and serve and be close to the, the family of God? What are you investing your time in? Your calling should be the primary thing that you're investing your time in. Our calling is not only when we get to parenting, but what? It's Christ, right? How much time are we uh, investing in that? Let's go to the scriptures and let's look at a, a parable that Jesus taught tonight. That's the main point I want to spend is in Matthew chapter 6. I want us to go through some things there and uh, really get to understand a little bit more about uh, parenting or what calling is, and we're going to equate it with treasure. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19. Thank you, honey. In Matthew 6, Jesus is, uh, is speaking and he gives parallels on what we should do versus what was taking place. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter, encourage some good uh, reading there. From giving to praying to fasting until he gets into money and worry, which is where we're going to look at. Jesus covers how we should live in this chapter. Homework assignment. Read through the chapter and compare yourself in each category. Right? Prayer, fasting, all these things. And then maybe we could repent a little bit and, and work out our salvation through fear and trembling, right? The ancient Greek in this verse here, starting over here in verse 19, it literally means do not treasure, treasure for yourself treasures on earth. I had to read that two or three times. Do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth. One of the things that's a consistent in these verses here is treasure. It's treasures mentioned here on earth. It's mentioned in heaven. It's mentioned the fact that, you know what, your treasure is. So treasures are constant. The key is, what do you treasure? And if we went around the room, everybody would treasure something a little bit differently. Does your treasure change as you age? Yes. 
Thank you. I appreciate somebody giving me some answer there. Yes, most of the time it does. Why? Priorities, lifestyle change, perspective. Sometimes, you know, we value something, and then when we get a little bit down the road a little bit, we realize that there's something a little bit more than that than what we should have valued, right? So a lot of it's going to depend on what you value. But again, treasure is implied as something that we will have or seek. And the question is, what treasure do you have and what treasure are you seeking? That's the first one we have to do when we look at this. Because if we're uh, seeking treasure that's here on earth, and he, he gives us uh, a really great analogy, what's going to happen to that treasure? It says it's going to destroy and it's going to get potentially broken and stolen. How many of y'all have been to a funeral recently? Has anybody seen anybody take anything with them? I mean, that's the old saying, right? You work all this time, you do whatever you have, and whatever you have is going to stay here. The only thing that's going to matter, the only thing that's going to last is what? Treasure in heaven. Well, how do we get our treasure to heaven? I went to the ATM machine, and I looked at that, and I couldn't figure out how to get anything to transfer that away. I, I, it just didn't have that link on there. So what treasure is Jesus referring to here then, when we're laying up treasure in heaven? What's some of those treasures? Okay, thank you, Jacob. What else? Telling somebody else about him. That's a treasure I think you can do, right? We can't save nobody, but what can we do? We can point them towards the Savior. What else? Mm-hmm. Right. Does he really specify what treasure this is? What's the greatest treasure? He's going to tell us later in a couple other parables about some different treasure where people would trade in everything they had to go get it. What's that? Christ, the kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what are we doing? That, what are we treasuring that's eternal? Do we see what we're doing as something that's eternal or is it just for right now? Is the things we're doing just for right now sometimes necessary? Yes, okay, thank you. I was, was waiting there, yes. It's sometimes necessary. Can we take everything we do and make it eternal? Sure. So when I'm working on a spreadsheet sitting in there, I can make that eternal, Jerry? So you look over in Luke 16, and it gives the example of the end of the steward. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that story, Christ challenges us to use the unjust man to make heaviness man. Mm. He'll always be there. Right. I was going to go more for everything I do, I should do is under the Lord, no matter whatever I'm doing, right? So everything you do, we should have a spiritual aspect of it, even if it's the most mundane of things. But that requires us to do what? Set our affections. We have to think about it too, right? We have to set our affection, then we have to think, this means something, versus sometimes we go through the grind. Is parenting a grind? I heard one or two people. I didn't hear none of the younger people back there say anything, but it's, it's a grind, right? What does it grind on? <coughs> your patience, your nerves, right? And then get on the last nerve. Grinds on what else? Sleep. Sleep. Time. Time, resources, right? It grinds on all these things. And if we're not careful, when it grinds on that, what, what, how do we react? We grind other people. people, right? We come back the wrong way, right? Our priorities, instead of be, being set on things above now, they, our vision gets here, and we think, hey, let's, let me step in and do it the way I think it needs to be done. And we need to stop because parenting is a calling. It's something God's called us to do. So we if, get defensive and we get frustrated. 
I've never seen any parents get defensive when their kids are running around or doing something else. You know, it's all about who. It's about them. Everybody's looking at my kids, so what happens? Then they, we feel defensive. We feel like everybody's looking at us versus, hold on. I was being facetious. I know. I know you wanted to sit right here where we're just dead on, Jerry. I noticed that, though. I like it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. It depends on what kind of iron he is, though. Tungsten. Uh, but, yeah, sorry. So we get ground on sometimes, and we react versus stopping and considering in light of eternity. So, again, you have a 3-year-old child, and you have a 30-year-old child. right? There's a big difference in seeing that 3-year-old child as a... 30-year-old child. What we do, though, is we're called to be parents, but that 3-year-old should be helping them to be that 30-year-old, right? Some of the things we should say no to, that we should do, that we should make sure we're shaping them, is going to affect how they turn out down the road. Now, can you see that right then? Sometimes, right? You see some of it. Can you see the depth of it? Not all the time. No, 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 not all the time. But our calling is not, again, to handle this situation. Our calling is ultimately glory. That's ultimately what we're raising our children for, correct? I mean, our ultimate goal is heaven. And so we have to make sure that all of our actions line up with that. Lost my place in my notes. Y'all never have that, do you? Mm -hmm. Here's another thing I thought of what, uh, the question I have. What treasure do you think people are seeking in our culture today? Material? Self. Self? They're seeking something that's very, very narrow, and I mean, I don't even think it lasts 37 seconds, right? And you have to have something else, and something else. How many people in our culture are seeking something called, I thought about this as a treasure. This is, uh, let me just read the scripture. 1 Timothy 6, uh, 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So godliness and being content, would we consider those to be treasures? No, thank you, Jerry. Okay, be quiet now. It says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. So when I thought about this, are we content with where we're at? Are we content with where our kids are at? Because we've done all that we could do with that, right? We should be content when you've instructed and you've said all that you can at that moment. Are we pushing for more? Are we trying to make sure that we keep up with somebody else? that doesn't matter. I want to make sure I say that again. When we look here, I'm not saying none of y'all matter. But in the grand scope of things, with my child, there's no comparison here, right? I'm supposed to be comparing my parenting and this child to who? Jesus, right? That's my ultimate model, my ultimate goal. Not to make sure, man, those kids over there look like they're dressed really well and they all sit still versus mine's in a circle. Well, they're going to be in a circle sometimes because they're children. All right. But are you in a circle with them? Are you down to where they're at? Or are you stepping back to where you should be and parenting? Mm. Often a materialistic, miserly, selfish Christian justifies their sin by saying, it's just one area of my life. But even as the darkness of the eye affects everything in the body, so a wrong attitude towards material things brings darkness to our whole being. So when we look down here in verses 22 through 23 here, talking about your eye being either Full of light or full of darkness. Again, Jesus has given us parallels. He's given us extremes on both sides. Which for us today, guess what? That's the culture we live in. There's extremes on both sides. There's very little in the middle here. And he's referring to this, making sure we understand, hey, it's about holistic. 
Oftentimes, again, do we justify where we're at by saying, hey, that's just one little area of my life. It's not a big deal. It's just a, what's that kind of lie that we talk, tell sometimes? How did a white lie get to be better than a black lie? Y'all never tell any white lies? Huh? I mean, you're just throwing me off my game tonight, Jerry. I mean, it's rough, man. I'm going to drop that one and just move on. I don't even want to go there, right? We sometimes, though, color code things to where it justifies us instead of recognizing our justification comes through Christ. We're not looking for that. According to France, um, again, a commentator, the idea of mammon itself was morally neutral. So when we look at the term mammon in here, in verses 24, he says here the... Uh, mammon is morally neutral. It's not saying it's good or bad. The word was used in some ancient Jewish text that showed this. Translating Proverbs 3.9 as honor God with your mammon. And Deuteronomy 6.5 as you shall love the Lord your God with all your mammon. Therefore, mammon itself represents material things we possess or want. And those things can be used for God's kingdom and glory or as idols. So the, the fact that the stuff, it doesn't have, it's not got a positive or a negative to it. It's our heart's attachment to it. Do we have stuff or does stuff have us? That's the problem we have today. Materialism. Materialism is not a thing that we're going to be able to do much with. It's going to continue to consume and consume and consume until there's nothing left of us or whoever we're around. We've got to be very careful understanding. God has given us, is, does, is anyone, anybody ever heard? I don't know, when I grew up in an independent fundamental Baptist church. If you had a bunch of stuff, then what were you ultimately there? You were sinful. Does having a bunch of stuff make you sinful or make you holy? Neither. Neither one. Don't have nothing to do with it at all. But oftentimes we can do what? We can judge somebody based on that. We can take a snapshot and go, oh, well, they must fall here or there. Actually, if you continue through the Gospels, we see that a lot of times where somebody said, hold on. Was it, did this guy sin or did his mom and dad sin? Because he had this illness or something, right? They're always taking the circumstances and applying godliness towards it. That's not how it is. Whether you got a lot of stuff or whether you got not a lot of stuff, what should you do with it? Honor God, right? I remember going, me and Anita went and visited a church. I won't say where it's at. But uh, the pastor, bless his heart, got up there and talked about how everybody needs fellowship. And he says, even if you're poor and don't have hardly anything, you still need fellowship with other poor people. And we sit in the back of the church, and my kids are with me, and I'm just, you know, I can just feel the glare. I mean, they're just eyeballing me, something fierce. There's some, we all need fellowship, but I don't know where he gets the poor. He's, he's, what has he done? He's forgot what these verses say. He's doing the same thing. He's classifying people based on whether they have or whether they have not. The key of what we have is what? Do we have Christ? Not that if we have stuff. Because guess what happens with stuff? It breaks, especially if you've got kids. I mean, my goodness gracious, stuff breaks quick sometimes. What else happens with stuff? It gets outdated. You can't use it anymore, right? Hold on. We'll hold these up, right? That's what they do on purpose, right? Cars. I remember when I was a kid, cars, you could make them last forever. Now, not quite so much. Everything gets outdated with stuff. You have to replace it at some point. But is that the treasure that we have? Do we have to replace that? Or does it grow up until one day we're going to be face-to-face -face with the one that we have treasured? Continuing down the verses here, I want to make sure we get through all the scripture tonight. Uh, we're to be concerned. Oh, hold on. I almost missed a Spurgeon quote. I can't do that. You cannot say that Jesus Christ ever troubled his head about what he should eat or what he should drink. His meat and his drink consisted in doing his Father's will. And that's from, again, Spurgeon. Are we more concerned 
with where we go to eat and what we eat and what we drink and what we have and how we dress, are we concerned with doing the Father's will? Can you do it in a suit? Can you do it in a pair of shorts? I, okay, I don't know. Now I'm, I'm a little concerned too, right? Again, it's our attitude. It's what we treasure. I'm trying to get back to the calling. We need to treasure. And I haven't even got to grace yet, so I need to, I need to step on the gas a little bit. So Jesus didn't tell them to, to stop worrying. He told them to replace worry with a concern for the kingdom of God. When we look down to verses 25 through 34, he's really telling them, hey, it's not about worry. It should be a concern for the kingdom of God. A habit or a passion can only be given up for a greater habit or passion. If you have a void, something always replaces it. That void we should have for worry should be about God's kingdom. So I'm going to jump down here and we're going to continue going. I want us to turn to Deuteronomy real quick, like Deuteronomy 6. And we're going to look at the, uh, the commandments about what we do as parenting. So Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. <laughs> so Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to absorb, observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you, today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Does anybody know what this is called, uh, what the uh, Hebrews call this, or is, is, Israelites? Shema. The Shema. Shema, right? That's the classic Hebrew confession of faith, describing who God is and what our duty is towards Him. Now, I think it's interesting when Moses wrote this, he used a term called, it's Hebrew, E-C-H-A-D. don't want to really try to pronounce it, Echad. And it speaks of a compound unity. Uh, not singularity. So he's really making sure we understand there's a unity here of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. What God mostly wants, what do you think God wants most from us based on these verses? He wants all of us, but what does he really want? He wants our affections, right, to be considered on him. He wants our love. Not coming to church, not serving here, not a tithe and offering. All that flows from what? Our heart, all that flows from love. What we really should do is love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all our mind, that everything else is freely given. If we give God all the rest, money, time, effort, without giving Him our love, it's all wasted. And I think sometimes, this is just me being honest, in church, we find a whole lot of that. We give this stuff, but we never really give Him our heart, ourselves. Say, hey God, everything I have, everything that's me, it belongs to you. And I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. That's really saying I love, love the Lord God with all your, everything that you are, right? Jesus called this commandment what? The great commandment. And he said, what's the second one? You should love your neighbor as yourself. So we need to make sure that we understand uh, the, the command's got to be in our heart, heart first. We don't bring our kids and it grow 
They get taught about this commandment. When we go home, this doesn't happen. No, no, no. It's our responsibility. First, foremost, primary. We should be the ones teaching our children. And what does it tell us? It says you should teach them when you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're lying down, and when you're rising up. What other position is there? Maybe kneeling? I, I don't really know. There's too much. Every position that you're in, you should be doing what? Teaching your children. I was going to remind that, but you're right, Jerry. I was going to talk about it. It's not something we just do. It should be, what does it mean to do it diligently? Carefully. Carefully. What, how else? Deliberate. Deliberately. What about re- re- repetitiously? Did I say that right? Man, I got that big word out. I didn't even spell it here. How about, well, grind, how about grindingly? Grindingly. I like that even better. Yes, we need to grind it sometimes on them. Right? We like to sit our kids down and let okay, it's time to teach you. Mm-hmm. Now learn it. Yeah, I did that this week, so we're done. Yep. No, it's frequency. Mm-hmm. Like when you're in a car going somewhere, like when you're sitting at a doctor's office and you've got 15 minutes, like whatever it is, those are the times when you're at a grocery store. Those are the times I think it's more apt to speak about things because guess what happens oftentimes? I remember when our kids were little, our old ones, they'd see an ambulance. The first thing they do was what? We need to pray. So what did we do? We stopped and prayed. Right? They'd see somebody on the side of the road and they'd say, hey, we should give them something. So we made up bags. And we seen somebody would stop and we'd give them a bag and pray for them. That's, I, that was my thought of trying to live this out. Let's just not talk about it. Oh, we'll pray for them at church. Guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to remember it. right? Stop then, whatever you're doing, and live out the scriptures to your child. Make sure you understand why you're doing it and then do it. Sometimes we talk a lot but we don't act on it, right? We need to have both. Three things we're supposed to do based on these verses. We are to create a God consciousness and a God submission to our children. We should make our children conscious of who God is, what he's about, and also to understand understand how to submit to God. The second thing, we need to lead our children to acknowledge his existence and submit to his authority. And third, we're to introduce your children to his existence, his presence, and his rule. Notice all three of those sort of go together. We've got to make sure they understand who God is first, then lead them to acknowledge and submit, and then the next thing, really to understand how presence and rule, how he is in all aspects of your life. I want to move to grace real quick, like. I apologize for shortening y'all on the grace. I don't have a lot of grace for y'all tonight. Grace, God never calls you to a task without giving you what you need to do it. He never sends you without going with you. Do y'all feel like y'all don't have enough grace in your parenting? I'm not talking about you personally because you don't have enough grace. God has enough grace for whatever season that you're going through. When you have little ones, it seems like it's impossible. But I want you to know, when they get to be older and gone, you need just as much grace. That grace never stops. So grace, there's a noun and a verb. I'm not going to read all of them to you, but basically grace, favor, goodwill, kindness. Uh, one of the, I was great, I thought it was incredible. I love how when you look at the dictionary, it talks about appropriately, the free unmerited love in favor of God. It's like, wow, that's in the dictionary. That's great. Favorable influence of God. The verb means to dignify, to supply with heavenly grace. There's actually a way of living that out. The most important principle to understand in parenting is the grace you've experienced in Christ Jesus. Why is that the most important factor? Because if you can't describe that, you can't show that. And our children desperately need to see God's grace. I had another scripture here, but I know in the essence of time, I'm going to skip down to my points. 
and go from there. Actually, I've got a Spurgeon quote. I do like that pretty good. I want to make sure y'all got that one. It says, uh, no, that's in my verses, so I can't do that. Sorry. I'll read it to you later afterwards. Uh, here's a couple of things we need to understand about grace. To come to any understanding of the dimensions of God's love is grace. We must come to the cross. The cross pointed in four ways, essentially in every direction, because God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. And God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. Therefore, he's able to do all things and above to be super abundantly above the greatest abundance. That was from Ephesians chapter 3 is where I was going to go 16 through 21. So are we able to parent on our own? No. What parenting should do is help us to realize how desperately we need God. In fact, living should make us help us to require how desperately. Marriage helps us to recognize how desperately we need God. Being by yourself should help you recognize how desperately you need God. We need God. God doesn't call parents to be parents because they're able. He calls them because why? He can be glorified through that. Also because that's what he created us for. God calls us to do the impossible so we'd realize we need more than help. We need him. God uses our marriages and our parenting to expose our hearts to ourselves. How quick we are to lose our temper. How much patience we really don't have. God uses those circumstances to reveal how much you need it. God's grace frees us from having to deny our weaknesses. Anybody have problems with uh, saying, oh yeah, I'm desperate in that area. I'm not good. I'm all right. I'm a man. God's grace rescues us from ourselves. God's grace grows and changes us as we parent. And then God's grace works to make my heart tender. And God's grace liberates us from the prison of regret. God's grace, God's calling. 734. We've got time to go into small groups too. So, are you sure of your calling? If you have a kid, guess what? You should be sure of it, right? It's for sure. You can't get rid of it now. Don't go that way. There is no return to sender address unknown. No Elvis in here. Not going to have it. So, you're being called. Now the, the issue is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to submit? Are you going to seek? Are you going to rely on yourself? Maybe rely on others. Rely on other people. Rely on what the world's wisdom tells you on how to parent. What's the world's wisdom telling parents what to do right now? Keep them entertained. Not only keep them entertained, but let them do whatever they want to do. When you look at the transgender, a lot of the things that's going on in the world today, and they're letting children, children, I'm not talking about adults, children mutilate themselves, and the parents are where? Nowhere to be found. They have a calling. One day they're going to stand in front of God. When I stand in front of God, what, what's the saying we all want to hear? Well done. Hey, you did the best right there with what you had at the time, in the season, what you knew. Right? Are we all going to be on the same page with that? No, some of us are further along. Like my older kid has told me about my youngest kid. That's no fair in some ways. I'm like, hold on. Had you, I was in my 20s, had her in my 40s. I know a little bit more. Things aren't as easy. You let things roll a little bit different, right? You change. You evolve. Ooh, I said evolve, not evolution, but we change, right? Ain't that evolving? We change in our parenting styles. We change in what's important. Again, what's your treasure? What's your calling? Has God given you enough grace for it? He's given you more grace than you could ever receive if you actually ask Him for it. Let's pray and we'll get to our small groups. Father, thank you that you've called us to a task that's impossible on our own. God, when we look around the world today, we could see the evidence of that, of people raising children, God, with no thought of you at all. God, I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, that you would move. God, I pray that we as your church, we would have compassion. 
compassion on the children, compassion on the parents. God, in our compassion would lead us to action. It would lead us to have conversations, to talk to others, to be willing to parent other people's children when we have that opportunity to shine light, to be salt to other people. Lord, as we go into a small group time and we talk about calling and we talk about grace, I pray, Lord, that we would be able to speak, we would enjoy each other's company and fellowship, and that, God, you would uh, help us to seek advice, to seek uh, wisdom from those in the room, mostly from your scriptures, God. I pray that it would speak and it would continue to speak when we go home and throughout the rest of the week, of the week God. As we, uh, as we parent, Lord, our younger children, our middle, our, uh, middle school, high school, and even adult children, God, I pray you would give us grace, God, and I pray we would give them grace, Lord. We would shower them with grace. We'd stand up uh, for what's right, that we would have grace for all situations. And Lord, I just uh, am thankful. Thank you for every person that's come tonight, God. I just pray, no matter what they're going on right now, no matter what's going on in their life, what they face, I pray, God, that you would step beside them, God. They would reach out, they would call out to you, and that, God, you would hear, and God, you would answer from on high. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.